You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 235 of Podcateers. This week we talk about having the opportunity to check out the holiday magic at the parks, including hanging with Santa Claus. We also talk about the history of the candlelight processional at the parks. Plus, if you're still looking for a gift for that special Disney fan in your life, we share some of our favorite Disney books. Links to purchase those books and more info on things that we talk about in this episode, like the full list of narrators from the history of the candlelight processional, can be found over at podcateers.com slash 235. Remember that if you want to join the conversation, you can connect with us by searching for Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or by leaving a comment in the blog post for this episode. If you happen to be doing any last-minute shopping on Amazon, we'd love it if you could help us out by starting off that purchase at podcateers.com Amazon. Clicking on the huge button on that page will take you to Amazon using our special referral link and anything you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. To everyone taking a few extra seconds to help us out, thank you very much. Finally, a big shout out as always to the FGP squad for their help in making these episodes possible via their contributions on Patreon. For more info on how you can become part of our podcast, Fairy Godparents, head over to podcateers.com slash FGP. To everyone on the FGP squad, thank you as always for all of your help and support. So that's it. It's time to jump into the episode, everybody. Here is episode 235 of Podcateers. still hear the music in my head it's like <laughs> it's just going through my head like i i can't <sighs> i mean melissa was there she she knows and she experienced the magic of believe in holiday magic and and you know what's crazy that's the that's the fireworks yes. show right you know it's yeah. crazy okay. when we got there we are we had one goal actually uh actually mm-hmm. we had two because i really wanted to see the fireworks show like i need to see the fireworks show that's just how i function oh i know but mm-hmm. we had uh two goals one was to take the boys to see santa because i mean it's santa right you gotta yeah. you gotta go okay. see santa and then after santa okay. we were gonna go you know do a couple things because between santa and the fireworks it was a good three and a half almost four hours so we figured, okay, we can maybe catch a couple of the shows, festival holidays, maybe get a couple of, of mm-hmm. the food offerings, uh, and then cool. find a good spot to watch the fireworks. And we went and we met Santa, and I, Melissa and I came to a realization that neither one of us had really gone to see Santa Claus or had taken like a picture with Santa without me without kids or anything, right? It was just like one of those, hey, right. let's go see Santa. And it's such a magical experience because you think that Santa's for kids. And then you're oh, there no. and you're like, <laughs> Santa, it's Santa. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it was. Are you serious? Like, no, really? dude. hundred <laughs> percent. Just giddy. Just so giddy. That's funny. Well, okay. So set it up for me because I've never been over there. Like, what do they do that makes it so neat? 
It's Santa. Well, okay. Well, all right. Let- That's cool, but I mean, do they create like Santa's village over there or something, or is there some sort of Disney magic that happens? That's kind of a two-part answer because. All right, lay it on me. I think for us, because of the timing, before we went to go meet <gasps> Santa, God, yes. we started hearing the jingling of the bells, and in the okay. last episode or so. We were talking about Snowfall by Grizzly uh, River yes, Run. Yes, right. Which that I had happened. never seen before, by the way. Oh, see, I still haven't seen it. We weren't there late enough today to, <laughs> to see it. Dude. So when that happens, I I did a happy dance. I didn't care. And then all of a sudden, I looked to Hazen and Lynette. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And they're looking at me like, what? Yeah. And all of a sudden... We get snowfall, and it's just like, (gasps) and I'm laughing because I'm looking at everyone's faces because it is just priceless. Yeah. It was awesome. All of the lighting in that area has that like yellowish like hue to it, right? Mm -hmm. So you start hearing the jingling. They have general music playing, but then you hear the jingle bells start going off. And then the lights go down and then come these bright white LEDs that just kind of looks like snow. And then, boosh, it begins to snow along the trail. (laughs) And you're kind of getting the sense of Christmas in the woods. And it's like so magical. It was one of the coolest unexpected experiences in my Disney life. (laughs) I, I knew about it because Melissa talked about it, but I had never experienced it. And just right. by happenstance, it just began, and uh, <laughs> it was amazing. Okay, so so I can I can kind of imagine that because I've seen the snow on Main Street now, and so I can kind of Even get me get, started on get that with that, yet. and I understand that. So that leads you into going to see Santa Claus. Yes. So what what really made that part of it magical for you guys? Well, one, I haven't met Santa. At Disneyland or in DCA, and I want to say now that I think back at it, because I couldn't remember when was the last time, it's been 20 plus years that I saw him and asked for something, or he asked me, excuse me, I didn't ask him, he asked me, but (laughs) just that feeling, it just, waiting and then having to be in line and just waiting, but there was also a little moment that we had captured, and I held it in because there was a family in front of us that brought a grandmother. Oh, yes. To me, that was like abuelita for myself. Like I to see her like just a couple of minutes with Santa that just witnessing that was like, oh, my God, this is it was beautiful. Um, I'm trying not to get emotional over this, but it was just watching that moment and that you're just like, gosh, this is this is the holiday spirit. This is beautiful. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just little things like that. The surrounding, it's cute and whatnot. But I think just feeling that energy in line, mm-hmm. that's what did it for me. Yeah. Like, it's just. Is there, is there some sort of reveal? Like, are you queuing up in a way that you can't see him and then you kind of like come around to your turn and all of a sudden oh my gosh there's santa no or can you like see him the whole time kind of see him the whole time there's there's a a bit of a pathway that goes towards Mm -hmm. paradise pier or pixar pier now where they set up some of the meet and greets with some of the pixar characters like doug and russell 
that's where they had Santa set up. So part of the magic that okay. they that they had was they had bags with letters, you know, addressed to Santa. They had a, a, a map of the world with like plotting the North Pole and stuff like that that you can see in front of him. Uh, a bunch of just Christmassy type plants like holly and you know like berries and stuff hanging all over the place and then so they dressed up the meet and greet area kind of like a little toy shop so you saw some Mm -hmm. toys a Christmas tree and they had like this big chair where they had Santa sitting and they had elves so they had elves directing you know uh, people that were in line to go see Santa Claus and so uh, you know that moment that Melissa was talking about earlier We all saw it and we all, I think, felt the same thing because, like you said, Melissa, it was the essence of Christmas. And I think that was part of what got me psyched to do it as well because it's one of those moments where you forget about being an adult for just a moment and you give yourself wholly to this experience, you know, this magical experience that you're about Mm -hmm. to encounter and you just enjoy yourself with this childhood gleefulness that we don't get a chance to experience very often as adults anymore because once that adulting gene kicks in like it's bills and work and blah blah stress and you know and there's very few moments that i think that as adults we can just give ourselves wholly and i think that was one of them and watching uh, that lady sit there with Santa Claus and sing like a Christmas song with him and just seeing her smile and just being in the moment, just enjoying what was happening. That filled me with joy. It was such a great experience. Nice. All right. Well, I have an interesting thought to lay on you. But first, did you guys ask Santa for anything? I sure did. I oh did. Oh, my gosh. Are, are you going to share or do <laughs> yes. you want to keep it a secret? I, I told him that I wanted a Tesla. Because oh okay, shoot for the moon. Yeah, yeah. You never know. I told him I wanted a Tesla because <laughs> with all the stuff that's going on with global warming, I want to reduce my carbon okay. footprint. And I think sure. that going with an electric car is the best way for me to do that. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, it doesn't hurt that it's an electric luxury car. I mean, look, that's <laughs> you know. just one of the perks. <laughs> that's just oh, one of the man. perks. You're you're a techie. I think you would absolutely adore driving a car like that. Oh, yes, I would. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So when Senna had asked me what I wanted, I was like, "Uh, a nice bank account? (laughs) That's the only thing I could think of. That's that's, hilarious. That was it. That could get me a Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. I love it. Okay. So I I love all of your descriptions of this and i i can see it you know it makes sense to me it's it's probably one of the best meet and greets possible i mean meeting santa it's like mickey and santa they're like top dogs oh yeah (laughs) Uh, they rule the world but do you guys see a plot hole here i see a plot hole because right now according to every story that's being told in the park and in the films the uh denizens of halloween town are trying to create christmas and they're over at the mansion trying to do that and at this point in the story santa should be trapped in oogie's casino Mm -hmm. lair Mm -hmm. so the fact that he's roaming free over in the redwood creek challenge seems like a plot hole point to me well for all the children listening right now let me clear (laughs) this up for you at california adventure you're meeting santa claus kids over at the mansion, they kidnapped the Sandy Claus, which is not Santa Claus. 
No, they just didn't know what he was called. They screwed up the name, but it's Santa Claus. Little did they know <laughs> that Shock, Lock, and Barrel actually kidnapped one of his helpers. Krampus. <laughs> one of his helpers commonly seen at malls. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'll give you that one. <laughs> For the record, I, like I was it. going with Hazen on this, too. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. I know also, everyone's going to be like, what? <laughs> also, the mansion is just a recreation of something that happened many, many years ago, Gavin. Right. You're right. You're right. I take it all back. <laughs> He's okay, free. So did you get to try any of the Festival of Holidays food offerings? Oh, Yes. So I tried two things. Uh, Thanks to Melissa. She had a couple of extra tabs. And what what did we get that was like the... (laughs) Uh, You guys tried the the pot roast uh, sandwich? Yes, yes. The pot roast sandwich with the horseradish. uh, And the gingerbread Mickey. And the gingerbread Mickey. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. The pot roast thing... Uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty basic pot roast recipe. I think it was pretty tasty for what it was. Yeah, I was a little yeah. disappointed that the horseradish itself wasn't as strong as I was expecting horseradish to be. So if there sure. was any disappointing thing about that selection, it was that. That the horseradish just didn't kick me the way that I was expecting horseradish to get me. Right, right. The gingerbread cookie. Oh, my Mickey. It was <laughs> one of the best cookie slash brownie tasting things I've ever had. Gingerbread, I think, is one of those foods that's really hit or miss for me because it's difficult to make it well. If you put too much in it, it becomes overpowering and it becomes bitter. And if you don't put enough uh, enough in it, it just kind of tastes like a chocolate chip cookie half of the time. This one hit an amazing sweet spot. And it was just absolutely chewy. It wasn't dry. I'm telling you, it was more like a brownie. It was like a gingerbread brownie that you were eating. And it was delightful. Yeah. It was. That booth took all my tabs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we used up our last four tabs today. And I got two, like the two last things that I wanted to try. And, man, I feel like I tasted, I definitely tasted something from every single booth. And... Uh, I got most of the food offerings. Like I didn't get a lot of the desserts and the sweet stuff. I think we only got maybe one or two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the like regular food offerings, I got almost all of them. And that was so much fun going around and just trying all those different things. And it was such a huge variety. I felt like, you mm-hmm. know, I didn't feel like there was a lot of things that seemed similar, you know, like I felt like each dish seemed pretty unique. Now, I've heard that a lot of them are repeats from previous years. So if you go year after year, you might, you know, get tired of them. But the fact that it's such a limited time, you know, it's like I feel like now there's several that I know that if they're back next year, I will be looking forward to them for the whole year because they were really good. Yeah, that was one of the things that Lynette and I were commenting about that we didn't get a pass this year, but we also didn't feel like we missed out on much because... A majority of what was being offered we feel like we tried last year and there was yeah. some new stuff in there but uh, i i think if we do it like every other year aside from the fact that when we did food and wine festival a lot of mm-hmm. the stuff from food and wine was very similar to this as well yeah. and maybe not exactly the same but very similar so we didn't feel like sure. we missed a lot 
So if we did like one That's festival cool. a year, I think we'd be content with that. Um, yeah. Are you going to stick with the one that you claimed was your favorite before, which was that really spicy, like pickle, the turkey, turkey thing? Yeah. Um, God, that is so hard to say. I tried some amazing things. The The Nashville hot fried turkey with dill pickles was... It's definitely one of my favorites. I really liked the jalapeno latkes. Those were good. Um, oh, man. Today, I tried the uh, lox and everything bagel nachos. How was and that? And those were freaking incredible. So good. I I loved those completely. Man, I don't know. It's it's hard to pick. I think, yeah, probably the turkey is my favorite. Charlie got that again today, and I got to try a couple bites of it again, and it was still perfectly done. Like, just juicy, spicy, delicious, so good. Mm. So, I, yeah, I guess I'll put that as my number one. Nice, it was, nice. It was great. So, pretty much, I got to try everything at Grandma's Recipes, and the last thing I got to try that was new was actually the candy DMs. Um, I actually mm. thought it was really good. Just it had nice. a little bit too much of that marshmallow sauce. So mm-hmm. I think if it had less of it, it would be perfect because it had like the right amount of walnuts and I the way it that pecans, it was cut. Wasn't it? it had something on it. I don't remember, but it was actually really good. Um, just the, nice. the, the yams itself, the way that they were, I guess, without the sauce, it was perfect. Mm. Okay. So that's okay. something I really wanted to try. How did you guys feel? Because I remember hearing a lot about the portion sizes and some some disappointment from previous food festivals. I felt the portions of pretty much everything I got was really good, actually, this year. W- did you guys have the same experience? I did. I mean, yesterday was a meal for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't really speak to it because I really only had that one item the mm-hmm. cookie comes pre-packaged, so yeah. I, can't I mean, the really... desserts are a different thing, yeah. You know, than the actual food, but but the potato. I was roll... impressed. Yeah, I mean, the potato roll that that came with the pot roast that we got yesterday seemed like a pretty mm-hmm. standard size of a type of roll that we would get for any of the other festivals. So I'm not exactly yeah. sure what people you know were experiencing, or if it was with particular mm. foods that they had that with. Yeah, um, but in general. I mean, I, I was watching people walk around with their portions and sitting down trying the different things, and it seemed like it was fairly similar to all the other events that they've had like this. Okay. That's cool. Uh, I learned something today. The very last day we had tabs, I learned something, and it's a little bit of a pro tip for these things because if you haven't been to one of these festivals, you're basically walking up to one of these little huts that's you know strewn throughout DCA, and they're handing you a little like cardboard um, like plate, like a little trough that they fill the food offering in with. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just have to walk around with that in your hand and maybe find one of those stand-up tables or some some place to kind of sit and eat it for a second. Uh, but if you do more than one thing, it kind of gets hard to juggle that and then try to get flatware from one of the dispensers. So you can actually ask them for a tray. And they have these really cool, like, recycled material cardboard trays that you can uh, request. And it'll fit, like, four of those little food plates on there. And it's super helpful if you're traveling. Because, like, 
Charlie and I went to spend our four tabs. We went all at once, but they were at four different booths. So we just went from booth to booth and just kind of filled up our tray. And then we had a nice little tray and we sat down at a bench and we just kind of ate it together off the tray. So that is a cool tip. Nice. I hadn't heard about it and I hadn't seen anybody with them before. So uh, one of the cashiers was just cool enough to mention it because she saw I was already holding one thing. And I was like, great, that is awesome. And I asked them for a tray and there it was. I wonder if, you know, you mentioned that it was, you know, it looked like recyclable, biodegradable type tray. Uh-huh. I wonder yeah. if they don't particularly tell you about it because they're trying to reduce their own carbon footprint along with the straws maybe. and some of that other stuff. So maybe yeah, it's it there be. if you need it, but they don't necessarily say, hey, we here we have this, take one with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That might be the case. So pro tip, but, you know, use it sparingly. You know, we are trying sure. to save the planet. You know. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, man, that's pretty much how we spend our time at DCA, aside from watching a performance by an acapella group by the name of The Sound. Uh, and then from there, we went to Disneyland, and we stood, what was it, Melissa, almost two hours in the middle of Main Street waiting for the fireworks? No, about an about hour, an hour, hour and a half. half. Hour and a half, maybe? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, I mean... Why so long? Because we wanted to secure our spot in the middle of Main what? Street. One of okay. our favorite places to watch the fireworks from is just about in front of the Penny Arcade. Because sure. yeah. from there, you get a pretty good visual of the castle, the fireworks above the castle. But you also get the amazing projections that are going all along Main Street. And so... Pretty much starting with the fireworks show for Disneyland Forever when we were celebrating Disneyland's 60th anniversary and Pixar Fest and pretty much everything beyond that now. I feel like that's like the prime spot if you want mm-hmm. like a, a good visual of everything. Of course, you also have the projections on the castle and the Matterhorn. So if you're closer you know, up towards the hub or towards Tomorrowland, you do get a really amazing visual on the Matterhorn, especially. I think I like the ones on the Matterhorn a little bit more than the ones on the castle. There's too much detail on the castle to really enjoy all of the projections. But that's my personal opinion. Mm. Um, but yeah, we waited for like an hour and a half. Finally, it starts. And man, those lights dimmed. <laughs> and my Grinchy heart grew like 17 sizes. It was one of the best things I felt all year. The music started. The feels just kicked me hard in the face. And I I just sat there in in Christmas joyfulness for the entire 13 minutes-ish that it went on. And then it started to snow. And, oh, man, my heart just melted. I was trying to record it so we can post it on the YouTube channel. <laughs> and I just found myself not paying attention to what I was recording because I kept looking right. around and just paying attention to the projections. And then at the end, uh, you know, I'm I'm overcome with joy as I'm watching the snowfall. And then my kids, I hear them both yell, it's snowing. And they just lost it. And that for me was just one of those moments that that's it's it made me feel like, yeah, that this is what it's about right here. Yeah. You know, and by the way, I tested it. It tastes horrible. (laughs) I'm sure it does. (laughs) So as far as the whole, oh, it's edible. It might taste like gingerbread. Oh, it doesn't. 
It's horrible. Well, I think it's I think it's not it's not necessarily tasty, but it's not poisonous. So like if you did eat it, it's fine. Oh yeah. But was it was it uh scented? Because when we yes. when we experienced it, it was scented. Yes, it right? was. Mm-hmm. It okay. was scented. I did taste it. It tasted like like Windex? a harsh oil almost. <laughs> okay. Like a like an like an essential oil almost. Is what ah, it kind of tasted what's like. In there, yeah. yeah, it tasted kind of like an essential oil, uh, so it was very bitter. And I imagine that, like you said, it's not toxic, and so it's safe to eat it if you do eat it. But it's also flavored in such a way that it's meant to retract people from doing that. <laughs> right. Right. So, if yeah. you're gonna try it, I mean, heed these words. It's yeah. nasty. At your own <laughs> risk. Yes. It's nasty. Oh, man. So I'm hoping that the video that I shot is, you know, it, it's okay because I want to post it on the YouTube channel. You know, after this week, a lot of people are going to be blocked out from going for the rest of the holiday season. And I know that we have some listeners that are not able to make it to the park during the holiday season. So I I would love to be able to have the chance to share this piece of Disneyland magic with all of you. So I'm going to be working on that video this week. I'm hoping that by the end of the week, which is a couple of days after this episode launches, it will be up on the YouTube channel. And uh, if it is, I'll make sure to post it on social media so that you guys are aware. We'll post it in the Facebook group. If you guys aren't following us, just search for Podcateers. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the major social networks. Tell your friends. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Make sure that if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the little bell icon for notifications whenever we post new videos. Because apparently subscribe just isn't enough. But, you know, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) all right one thing that was super cool while we were waiting in line and i wanted melissa to talk a little bit about this because uh, she was explaining to me some of the changes that recently came to the disneyland app but while we were standing there waiting i saw her walk to esmeralda And Mm -hmm. if you guys don't know, Esmeralda is the fortune teller on Main Street. One of the two fortune tellers, as a matter of fact, on the Disneyland Resort. Mm -hmm. The other one is Pirate Red at Pieces of Eight in New Orleans Square. Melissa, tell us a little bit about what the changes in the app were and what you experienced. Sure. Um, So in the newest update, there is new interactions with both Esmeralda and actually it's Fortune Red. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> um, so if you guys aren't familiar, um, you usually would just walk up to them and pay a small fee, which is a quarter for a fortune card. So now the Disney Play app has made something even better. So all you need is your Bluetooth. Press that you're here to either one and you start your journey. What's really, really cool is that you pick a card out of six. So you don't know which story you're going to get. And each story has about, I want to say, eight chapters. So you pick your chapter, you get your first page, and it's free, and it's printed on the spot. Mm -hmm. And what's so cool is that in the app itself, it's saved. So you could go back to the story if you lose your card. The one cool thing is that it's each day... It's a free card, but if you want it to continue, and I saw someone doing this, he was grabbing more and more cards. Like he wanted to finish this, which is really cool. You would have to pay the quarter to 
continue on and finish your chapters if let's say you're not going to come back but if you're a frequent you know guest of the parks then you could come by every day and just go as you please yeah you know so wait i have a question so uh-huh. if the it, if you're just using the app you get the first card for free but then to continue you have to pay yes. so if you want to just use the app you can just come back the next time you're at the park and continue yeah, exactly. you get one right? card per day oh, uh-huh. okay that makes sense got it okay i'm on the same page now so i actually got to try it again with fortune red the other time and it's the same thing you pick a card you don't know which one you're getting and you start your journey from there and that's cool it's really really cool because you know you're used to paying your quarters but dang i i'm digging yeah. this and what's so cool is that these are like old time nostalgia gems and i love that disney's giving like new life to them it's just exciting stuff and all with the all within the app i mean that's awesome yeah I feel like the Disney Play app is like actually functions better than the Disney Parks app. Yeah. I didn't have any issue whatsoever. I have have problems with that all the time, but the Disney Play app, I never have any issues with. And it's gotten pretty complicated with all of the interactions and, you know, like, I don't know if you guys have played the, the Peter Pan game that you play in the queue there yeah or the toy story midway mania game like they're they're really kind of cool mm-hmm. um or uh space mountain is one of the newer ones which is kind of cool but yeah like i've never had any issues with with that app at all i'm really impressed with it i like the way it's designed mm-hmm. it's really fun it's really engaging i didn't think it was going to be much but you know it's it's a really neat well-designed app i like it yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can't speak, obviously, as a developer, right? But if I could take an educated guess as to why the Parks app seems a little clunkier, uh, I think it's primarily because it's loading park data for both for the entire resort, right? And yeah. it, it sequences it. what's happening in the park as far as parades and shows according to what time it finds on your device. So it will eliminate certain shows and tell you that certain ones are no longer available and it'll update throughout the day, you know, depending on what time you launch the app. The Play app doesn't have that problem. It's only launching because you're about to connect to an experience. So there's less that it has to do. So if I could make an educated guess as to why you get that feeling, I would say it's probably because of that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I I get it. I just, you know, it's just it's frustrating sometimes when you're sitting there for 3 4 minutes waiting for the app to like recognize you and log in just so you can use your fast pass. So it's just I don't it's run a little into frustrating. That. What? I run we run into it all the time. <laughs> I was going to say that one thing that got me thinking about this is that you know, what if they were to implement like more interactions like let's say a lens uh lamp mm-hmm. in the bazaar oh, i'm sure that i'm sure they will i mean i, I, that would be I imagine cool. that that's the whole point is that they're just going to keep adding more and more of this mm-hmm. and that's exciting that that's what makes it interesting is that yeah. you know it evolves and it grows and you know i'm waiting for the 
Cars Land something. Like, that's what I'm waiting for, because I feel like that's around the corner. It has to be. Yeah. Especially with long queues like Radiator Springs yes. Racers. Like, there's got to be something. And that'll be, like, the first time I ever get in the standby queue is just to play that game. <laughs> I would agree. Right? Yeah, I would agree. Am that's I the only one that queue. stands in queue? <laughs> I, I've never been in the standby queue in Cars. Never once. Wow. The, when the when the when the land opened, I got a fast pass for my very first ride, and immediately learned that there was a single rider line. I've never done anything else since. There's no reason to stand there for an hour or two. Yeah, and it's always an hour or two. It's never <laughs> shorter than that. So it's it's crazy. But I hope more people don't use the single rider line because it's kind of magical. Well, you just gave it away. I know, right? <laughs> today, actually today was the very best time ever. We walked into the single rider queue and quite literally walked all the way up to the cast member who put us on a seat. Wow. There was zero people in the single rider line. Wow. And the wait time for standby was 75 minutes at that time. Oh, wow. wow. It's insanity. Yeah. It, Absolute insanity. It is a gorgeous queue, though. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I've seen it and I've looked at pictures and it's still one of the most wonderfully themed attractions in the entirety of the Disney Parks universe. It's just spectacular and I never tire of experiencing it, but I've never been super interested in standing in that queue for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it is something that has to start making its way over here because when you see some of the cool stuff that's in the queues at Walt Disney World, oh yeah, yeah. they really do need to bring some of that interactivity here, and we have a little bit of it, I agree. you know, with Peter Pan. But if it's expanded, it will make the 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 whole process of standing in the lines a little bit easier for everybody, especially kids. Yeah. Man, they're the ones that, as long as you can engage them with some kind of game, you know it. Less crying, more fun, less frustrated yeah. parents. I'm on board for all that. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to try these because Melissa came back with the, her second card and she was showing it to me. And I thought, well, that, no, no, don't tell me what the story is. I didn't want to read through it because I wanted <laughs> to experience it for myself. Uh, mm -hmm. If you guys want some screenshots or want to check a little bit about that, head over to podcateers.com. We posted a blog post with some uh, screenshots that Melissa took as she started her journey, you know, with this new interaction uh, with these uh, Disney gems, as she puts it. And uh, it's super fun. You know, like she mentioned earlier, if you frequent the parks, there's no need to pay the 25 cents. I mean, unless you're impatient, but it gives you something to do every time that you go back. And I think part of the reason that Disney is adding these experiences to the play app is to give annual pass holders a reason to keep coming back and enjoying yourselves without clouding up the lines. You know, and I right. think that's mm -hmm. really what they're aiming for, especially as we're getting closer to the opening of Galaxy's Edge. So the more of this stuff that appears in the park, the cooler it is. And once they start integrating all of those super cool scavenger hunts that they do, like in Frontierland and everything, yeah. into the app, or maybe even the Easter egg hunts, 
you know, where you don't need to purchase the map. You just kind of do it in the app and you could still pay a premium for the prize at the end, but you don't necessarily need the paper map. You know, it, there's a lot of benefits. I know that some people like to collect those, but less paper printed is less paper thrown away in the long right. run. You know, so the more we can go through these digital experience, I think it's it's a lot better. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, before we jump into our next topic, I just want to remind you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you in part by our fairy godparents via their contributions on Patreon. If you would like more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can do so by heading over to podcasters.com slash FGP. You can see a list of our current fairy godparents and you can click on the link to become one yourself. For as little as $1, you can become part of the FGP squad. But for a contribution of at least $5 monthly, you also get the exclusive fairy godparent button as a thank you for your support uh next year you know we're we're just a couple short weeks away from 2019 birthday shout outs on our instagram account which many of you have possibly seen already will be exclusive to our fairy godparents and anybody that's currently signed up for the birthday list you'll still get a birthday shout out but it's going to be in our instagram stories so if you want to hop on the bandwagon and be part of the fgp squad get your birthday shout out and help us out all at the same time podcasters.com slash fgp you'll find the link to sign up via patreon to all of our fairy godparents we just want to say thank you for your support all right so i know last week we talked a little bit about this and we didn't get a chance to go you know we when the standby line was happening i think most of us were at work and if you get there too late you're just not going to see it in any capacity unless you're invited and you're one of the several hundred people that has a chance to sit in a chair to watch it and that is the candlelight processional the candlelight processional you know has a very rich history with disney it's been going on since the park opened gavin uh, i know you did some research on this tell us a little bit about the candlelight processional when it got started and some of the people that have been involved in the show yeah absolutely it's a it's a really interesting thing. It's it's kind of a unique event that happens at Disneyland and you know at Disneyland unlike Disney World it happens in a very limited way. And you know kind of like you mentioned it's it's pretty much an invite only to be an actual attendee of the event. Uh, as I understand it you could probably see it from afar if you're there on that day and you want to stand around Main Street. I don't know if you can actually get any good views of it or not in that capacity, but as I understand it, you really kind of have to get an invitation. You have to be a Club 33 member, you have to know somebody, you have to work for Disney, yada, yada, yada. If you're lucky enough to be in Disney World during the holidays, though, they do it like every night at Epcot, like a couple times, and it's like, you know, you can get a dining package, you, you can see it out there. So it's really weird that it's so exclusive here but like you said there is a long history uh, to this event and its roots actually go like you said all the way back to the very first holiday season at disneyland in 1955 and you know it was that year that the guy who kind of created what we know now of the candlelight processional at disneyland his name was dr charles c hurt and he is um, of USC. He was the choir director for USC for like a long time. Um, 
And uh, he basically just directed a group of 12 Dickens carolers around the park that year. And, you know, it kind of got a lot of traction and, and it was one of the more popular holiday items that was there. So over the next few years, it just kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, so that first year, the carolers kind of sang throughout the parks and then uh, they would sing at the Main Street Bandstand, which no longer exists. That's kind of where the Fantasy Fair area is now. Um, those of you who remember the bandstand, uh, it was kind of a cool little gazebo type bandstand. Um, but you know, they, it kind of fell out of use after a while. So what they do there now is a little more useful, but, uh, so that's kind of where it started and they were joined by some local choirs and, you know, it kind of turned into an exciting little moment. And, uh, Dr. Hurt, realized that people were excited about this and just tried to grow it from year to year. And so basically the next year it grew a little bit. And then by 1957, he had, you know, the idea that it could be even bigger and it just kept getting more massive and more massive. And in 1957, the innovation that he, he created was he wanted his choirs to actually join the parade the Christmas parade as it moved its way down main street and then end with kind of a finale concert. And so then we're kind of getting really close to, you know, what we know now as the actual event, you know, at, at one point they would do it in the plaza area, like in the hub in the center uh, where all the lands meet. And, you know, at one point they had, you know, about a 300 member choir circled around the plaza and then the Dickens carolers up in a balcony above, you know, in Sleeping Beauty Castle. Wow. Which that's awesome. Which that that seems like a really dramatic, cool staging for an event like that. Yeah. Um, but you, you kind of do have issues with uh, staging and, you know, viewing you know, something like that. So by the time we get to 1958, so this will be the the fourth holiday season at Disneyland, Dr. Hurt really pushed uh, management at the time to create a real event, you know, something that was big, not something that was just kind of roving, not something that seemed improvisational, but something that seemed more intentional. And it was there, it was then that they, they did the big, uh, 16 choir combination and the, the Dickens carolers uh, at the castle. And, you know, it, it kind of had its pros and cons. And like I said, it was, it was a little tricky to uh, organize in that area. So by the time we get to 1960, they had moved it back to town square. And that's when they began the long tradition of singing on the steps of the train station. And there they can do a lot more staging. They can, you know, have all the risers that they need for the choirs and they can really make a production out of it. And that is the first year that we kind of have the event that we would recognize as what we see today. And it basically was a super mass choir, you know, built up of several uh, visiting choirs and then that was also the first year that they began bringing in celebrity narrators for the show. Uh -huh. And what they would do is, you know, they would kind of narrate throughout the show and, and basically give the highlights of the biblical Christmas story. And so that very first year, 
an actor named Dennis Morgan was the very first celebrity narrator. I'm personally not very familiar with who Dennis Morgan is. Uh, He was a name I'd never heard of before, but he was kind of the first one to kick it off. Basically, ever since 1960, every year they've had a celebrity narrator. So there's this epic list of people who've gotten to MC this event, basically, which I would think would be kind of an honor. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how many of them do or if it's just a gig where they get paid. I don't know. But I think that would be an amazing little highlight on your career to me. But that year, they also uh, instituted one of the coolest things, which and I've seen it in pictures before. And, you know, obviously, I've never been to the to the ceremony before to see it live, but I've seen it in pictures. And it's what they call the living Christmas tree. And in the center of the stage, they have this conical shaped riser and they have a choir wrapped around it in the shape of a Christmas tree, which is awesome. Yeah. Like that is so cool. And yeah. I would love to see that live. And, uh, you know, it was basically kicked off in that first year and they've continued it ever since. And what's interesting is that now today, and I think it's since 1982, that spot it was reserved for the disney employee choir which yeah. is oh, kind of cool i didn't even know there was a disney employee choir yeah. but apparently there is yeah. so anytime you see pictures of it that's you know since then those are all disney employees in that little honored spot which i think is kind of cool uh so yeah i mean it, it's interesting uh that you know the the thing just kind of grew and grew and grew really rapidly over those first four years uh, because this choir director with this vision, Dr. Hurt, saw the potential of it and grew it to be this massive, massive thing to where the the show typically contains 300 chorus members now, which wow. that's a massive choir, right? Yeah. And that's a lot of voices coming at you, and it would be really powerful. Uh, so it's really cool, and I love – that it's, you know, one of a thousand stories within the Disney, you know, legend that is somebody has a vision and enough people in charge recognize, hey, this guy's got a vision. Let's back him up and let's make it happen and let's create some magic. And that's what they did. And it's so successful that it continues today. And ever since the very first holiday season in Disney World, they've been doing it there, too. So it's in both resorts every year and has been from the beginning. And it's really, it's really cool that there's a tradition like that. You know, there's, there are things that they do there every day that a lot of people don't take notice of. Like today we happen to catch the, the flag retreat ceremony, which, you know, happens there every day. And it's such a cool tradition that has gone on since the beginning. And this is, this is no exception. I think it's interesting that it's a little exclusive at Disneyland. Like it's not something that everybody can partake in because they do it in such a limited amount of time and it's kind of invitation only. But it's also fascinating to me that something like that could grow so big in the way that it did. Because I think today the idea of a choir is a little bit of an old fashioned idea, right? I don't feel like, you know, a lot of people are growing up. I'm going to be a choir singer, you know, like that's the coolest thing ever. And I think it, 
it's it's helpful to put a little context to it. So I did a little research on choirs, especially um, the history of choir music in the middle of the 20th century. At that time, there was such a resurgence in the popularity of choral music that you know there were some very famous American choirs at that time that were actually on the charts, right? On the music charts. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, so probably the most famous and respected choir of that era was the Robert Shaw Chorale. You know, they sang everything from Bach pieces to Broadway. And, you know, in 1957, their Christmas album was certified gold. So, like, you know, that's the era of, like, Elvis Presley's Christmas album and, you know, Frank Sinatra and, like, all those, you know, classic Christmas albums. They were right there with them. You know, but we don't hear it today because choir music isn't super popular. You know, it, the other one which kind of has a, uh, you know, fam- familiarity to me is the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, uh, obviously yeah. of the, the Mormon them, Church yeah. in Salt Lake City. And they are a massive choir and they've actually been around since the 1840s. So there's a long, long tradition there. Well, they've toured, and right? Yeah, they've toured all over yeah, the world. Yeah, I think that's why I've heard about them because they would yeah. appear frequently uh, in the holiday seasons, like at different theaters around the area. Right. Yeah, and I mean they were hugely popular, especially in the mid twentieth century. They earned a Grammy in the nineteen fifties. They Whoa. were they were the choir that performed on the national broadcast. Um, that was honoring the passing of John F. Kennedy in 1963. Like they were the choir that, that sang at that national um, broadcast. Right. So choir music was really big in the fifties, in the forties, fifties and sixties in America. And so it kind of makes sense why people were just flipping out over this, you know, event at Disneyland and why it grew so fast. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it just got such a solid footing and became a tradition that it maintains itself today. You know, it, it persists. And I think that's really interesting to kind of see, you know, how something like that comes to be. Because, again, I think if a choir program was invented by somebody and presented to Disneyland today, you know, for like, I don't know, let's just say Fourth of July, they'd be like, eh, I don't know about that, you know, because choir music isn't you know something kids are going out and buying cds for uh, sorry that dated myself kids aren't downloading or streaming you know (laughs) choir albums right now nobody buys cds anymore except us old people uh so yeah uh, i think it's really interesting and i would like to see it what do you guys think is that something you guys definitely want to see is it on your bucket list of disney things 200 percent. really i've done it i've actually camped out oh you have yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. What was your experience? Um, the camping out takes a lot because you have to wait. I mean, I was there rope drop and we were in the same spot. You couldn't really move. So it was kind of uncomfortable, but watching everything was worth it then. Would I do it again? No. Um, <laughs> I have been fortunate enough to be invited once when they had the, um, the cast member like raffle and I was invited oh, okay. to go in and that because we sat at the very front but we were at the end I want to say mm-hmm. it, it's really neat and it could kind of get emotional because you're just watching and you're feeling this energy mm-hmm. um, 
everything from the choirs to even the trumpeteers at the very top. Oh, um, yeah. Gosh, I don't it's remember. It's like the, uh, the fanfare style trumpets, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. But you could kind of get a spot if you were there a few hours before. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, you're going to be a little behind or a little in the back. But to see it from afar, you kind of get that big picture. So I sure. would encourage that. It's just there's so many trees in the center of town I square now. I was about now. to It'd mention that. Very yeah, difficult, difficult, right? Yeah. To see through that. Yeah. And especially the big Christmas tree. So if you're in the center behind the square, you're like, there's no way. Yeah. Unless I mean, you have extra vision. experience. Who was the narrator that year? For sure. One of them was Gary Sinise. Oh, nice. Which was like, Lieutenant Dan, Dan is just telling me the story. <laughs> or Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember who the other one was. I, I can't okay. remember at this time. Nice. But nice. Gary was very, like, memorable. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I You know, I printed up the entire list of narrators going all the way back to 1960. I don't know if it's worth reading the whole thing, but... I mean, there's been a lot of really big names. I mean, James Earl Jones, <laughs> Carrie Grant, Dick Van Dyke, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart. I mean, really good, good, amazing people. It, there, there have been, to me, it seems like there's some missing names, though. You know, like I'm shocked that, you know, for example, Julie Andrews was never a narrator. Yeah. You know, somebody like John Mills or Fred McMurray, like people who were, you know, tried and true Disney actors and huge celebrities in their own right. Like they, they never did it. And I don't know if it, if they were ever asked or like, I'd be interested to know the history and the process of how they choose, you know? Uh, So it's, it's really fascinating. This, this tradition, I wanted to ask you guys though, because I feel like this is the only kind of overtly religious thing that Mm -hmm. Disney does in any sort of official capacity because it is the retelling of the Christian story of Christmas and it I find that very interesting and I don't know how I really feel about that because yes I know Christmas at large is you know traditionally considered a Chris a Christian thing but none of the religious side of that is ever really celebrated in the parks except for this one thing and it does have a lot of Christmas magic to it, but it is religious. And I just, it's weird that they're willing to kind of cross over that line, which they don't in any other way ever for this one thing. So what do you guys think about that? It doesn't bother me. Um, what's funny is that when I got to experience this, it it kind of took me to another place. And that's, I think that's the the beauty that Disney has is mm-hmm. they could transport you to another, another world or you just don't feel like you're there. And mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. Um, did it feel religious though? Like, did you feel like you were in church? No. Okay. That's no. what I was wondering. Like if it just kind of felt like, oh, this, this turned into church. I think it was <laughs> because I'm at Disneyland. I think that's what it sure. is. So sure. it's like, it just, it's a different feeling. But yeah, no, I didn't feel like I was gonna, you know, 
get communion or anything like that. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because I've actually thought about that myself. I've seen videos that people have posted and little snippets here and there of some of the narrators. I think each one of them puts a little twist of themselves into how they read it. And that in itself, I think, is enough to separate it from that churchy vibe that it might give mm -hmm. off because in sermons or in, you know, church readings they tend to be very monotonic and this is nothing like that and so as they're reading it they're putting a little bit of life into it you have the choir you have the instruments and the ambiance of the park you know the the people around you and there's i i want to say that part of the reason that and i could be completely wrong but I feel like part of the reason that it's as exclusive as it is at Disneyland is partly to protect what Walt really enjoyed about it. Because as far as I know, this was one of Walt's favorite traditions. It's one of the very few things left that Walt did or enjoyed in the park. And who's to say how long it will continue, right? Sure. Because I think we we do live in a world with such diversity. The Festival right. of Holidays not only uh, talks about the other traditions, but they offer food performances from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And that's how they're kind of balancing it out. Right. Good point. I actually had a question for you, Gavin. On yeah. the list, was there anybody that we would familiarize with like Disney films, like voice actors? Uh, yeah, sure. So Buddy Epson's on there. Um, uh, that would be Scuttle from Little Mermaid. Ah. James Earl Jones. Vader. Mufasa. <laughs> hey, come on. Mufasa I know, I know first. Both. I know, I know. <laughs> no, but Vader too. Uh, David Ogden Steers. Oh, okay. You know, Cogsworth. Yeah. You, Man, you Mufasa reading the story of Christmas. Um, Obviously, Kurt Russell, who was the voice of, well, he acted in a million Disney films, but in the animation realm, he was the voice of Todd. Those are the only ones that I can say right off the bat. Are, oh, no, Jen Jennifer Goodwin. Oh, okay. Judy Hopps, she's on there. So, yeah, I mean, they, they had a lot of people who, were, uh, who did voices for the films. There was a lot of people who acted in Disney live-action films. Uh, but really, the ma the vast majority of it is just Hollywood celebrities, mm. and I I find that really interesting. Um, you know, it's it's kind of cool. That would kind of tell me that it is seen as an honor to do it because, mm -hmm. you know, Cary Grant never did a Disney thing in his life, but yeah, he did the Disneyland Candlelight Processional. So I wonder if there's must... an additional tie-in like that person happened to receive their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame that year. Maybe. Oh. I mean, we can kind of discredit that immediately because Chris Pratt did it this year and he ain't got no star. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Meeting adjourned. There we go. <laughs> so Besides, it's not, it's not whether or not they deserve a star. It's whether or not they can pony up the dough to buy one. True that. There you go. True that. I'm so sure Chris Pratt asked, can. <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering because I, I don't know. The, I didn't know the list. And I was like thinking, I'm like, man, what if Ed Wynn had done mm. the reading? I mean, that's like the Mad Hatter yeah. is reading it to you. That would be amazing. Right? That would be so great. 
Like some of those people have such distinctive voices, mm-hmm. you know, like Pat Carroll. Like she just oh, speaks gosh. and she is <laughs> Ursula, you know? It's crazy. I agree. That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? Let's post that question out to our listeners. You know, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to watch the Candlelight Processional, whether at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. But if there's uh, an actor or voice actor out there that you think would do extremely well at this reading, join the conversation over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or in the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 235. Tell us who you think would be really good at this and why. You know, what iconic role have they done that, you know, would just lead you to believe that it would just be amazing to listen to them narrate for the Candlelight Processional. We'd love to hear your thoughts and share them on an upcoming episode. Can I throw a name out there? Tony Stark? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's why I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, um, my God. Yes. <laughs> it, w- it, would, it would be credited as... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Of course. Because Tony Stark's not a real thing. I I would have, (laughs) if I knew that that was going to happen, I would have to rope drop wait for that. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I I do want to say that there is, the the women on this list are in the vast minority. So we need to get more women involved in this, for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what? We'll take that list and we'll post it in the blog post for the episode if you guys want to check out the entire list. I know we mentioned some of the names in the episode, but again, podcateers.com slash 235 if you want to take a look at the list. It's a pretty cool list to see. And the fact that so many people from the Marvel Universe these last three years have been involved, and by so many, I mean three. I mean, you got Chris, Chris, and Chris. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> it'll true. be it'll be cool to see who comes up next. Tuh, RDJ. Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it out there. So. Okay, I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The final thing we want to talk about in this episode is, you know, with Christmas coming up in a couple of weeks, if you are in a mad dash to find a, a last minute gift for that Disney fan in your life and you just don't know what to get them. Uh, we thought we would share some of our favorite Disney books with you that are, are we just think are shelf-worthy and uh, are read-worthy because they have such an amazing impact on you, on Disney culture, or they tell an amazing story. So, Melissa, let's start with you. And I don't want these to be in any particular order because oh, yeah. ranking books is just one of the hardest things that you can do because they all Lame. bring such different things to the table. I know that's against everything Gavin is built upon, <laughs> but I-, I think this list, uh, especially for the listeners, because it's uh, a Christmas thing, uh, let's let's do them in no particular order. And if you guys want to go back and take a look at the list that we each compiled, and if you want links to Amazon, we're going to post them in the blog post for the episode so that if you do want to purchase them, we would love it if you use our link to purchase them. But without further ado, let's go on. So, Melissa, what's your first choice? All right. Can I have a little disclaimer? Because this is pretty much a given. Any Walt biography would be great. And the reason I say is because I couldn't put that in my list, but... Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Is there a specific we, one we that you want to? Um, I know you said any, but it, one in particular. 
Yeah. Um, the one that I would recommend, because I have it on Audible and I still listen to it, is uh, Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American uh, Imagination. Yeah. That yeah. one's like one of my favorite ones. But that's the, yeah, I think everyone should have one. I, I need to add that to my library, too. I, I still, and I know this is going to shock people probably, maybe, I don't know. I've never read a Walt biography. Like, I, I've never done. I've watched a million documentaries, really? but I've never read one of his biographies. And there's, like, six that I consider, like, must-reads. Yeah. And I just have not gotten around to them. Wow, that's to. so interesting. I really do. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. It's, it's it's kind of embarrassing, but I just announced it to the world, so whatever. <laughs> so Neil Neil Gabler's book, which is the one Melissa's talking about, Walt Disney: The Triumph of of the American Imagination. I've probably heard it on Audible about four times through. Damn. Yeah. yeah. And I've nice. read the book. I I got through about three quarters of the physical book. And mm-hmm. then I got the Audible version, and I've just heard it several times on Audible. It's an amazing read. It's just a fantastic book all around. Like Melissa said, really any Walt biography. I will say that I think there are some Walt biographies that are better than others because some of them just work on stuff that they very loosely research. But the okay. Neil Gabler one is a fantastic one. But if I had to put... Uh, one at the top of my list. So I- I'm going to jump into my suggestion since I'm talking yeah. about it. But I would go with Walt Disney and American Original by Bob Thomas. And yeah. part of the reason I want to put that on the list is because uh, Bob Thomas spent a lot of time talking to Walt before he passed away. So he had a lot of personal interviews with him that he talks about in his book. And the book really ranges from Walt's father's life in Kansas City Mm -hmm. and all the moves that they made. Uh, They talk about Marceline. Uh, It goes through uh, his life in the animation studios, all the struggles that he had, Um, you know, the building of Disneyland, all the way through his death, essentially. And the thing that I really like about it is that there's a lot of books, especially a lot of biographies, that tend to vilify Walt, in major ways and this book does a really good job of evenly spreading all of walt's qualities in a way where you see a man that was ambitious and that was driven and that he may have been super tough to work for but you can see why he was so tough to work for because he wanted that ambition to turn into reality and there's a Mm -hmm. reason why guys like steve jobs are so much like him and you know idolize him and other Fortune 500 company, you know, CEOs, you know, look up to somebody like Walt Disney. So if I could put anything on my list, it would be Bob Thomas's book. Is that the one that's like two or three inches thick? Yeah. I actually have okay. two versions of that book, by the way. That's that's the one that's on the very top of my list. One of my best friends has like oh, read wow. me excerpts of it and has told me time and time again about different parts of it. That's the one that's on the top of my list. I need to get around to it for it's sure. It's so good, dude. Yeah. So good. You would not regret uh, it. Okay. Well, let me jump in here. And I'm not going to shock anybody by revealing the fact that all five of mine are basically Disney art books. And that's that's what I usually buy is the Disney art books. Mm-hmm. And I, I love them, especially if it's Imagineering and, and parks and stuff like that. So the first one I want to talk about is... 
a book that came out not that long ago called The Poster Art of the Disney Parks. Oh, my God. It's and such a gorgeous anybody book. who's been to one of the Disney parks knows that, especially in the entranceway, but also throughout the parks and, you know, in various ways, you end up seeing attraction posters. And these are basically posters that artists and Imagineers create to sell you on the attraction. And there's a long history of it going back to the beginning of Disneyland. And it's some of the most fantastic, inspiring, and influential poster design in the 20th century and beyond. And I love it. And it is some of the stuff that inspires me more than anything as an artist. So if I could recommend one right off the bat, it's the poster art of the Disney parks by Hanke and Hunt. And it's just, it's a perfect coffee table book. You can flip through it. You can just dive right into the eye candy. I can't get enough of it. I've looked at it a thousand times. Nice. That's an amazing book. I had a chance to leaf through it once while I was walking through one of the shops at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. I just want to grab all of the pages from inside of that book and just frame everything. (laughs) Right? It's so gorgeous. I know. All right, Melissa. All right. Uh, my next recommendation is Maps of the Disney Parks, and oh, I got this at Disneyland. One. I it's, need to get that one so bad. <laughs> it's really good, especially for someone who's a big fan of the Disney Parks. You get maps, not just of the parks, but inside certain attractions, which I didn't really? know. Really? Ha- yes. Yeah. I, oh, I need this. I bad. didn't know Small World had a map. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? I'll take yeah. pictures and I'll, I'll send it. But I was like, what? It's really cool. I mean, I'm ordering it on Amazon Prime right <laughs> now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you own it? I do. Oh, my gosh. I'm so envious. I'm a huge fan of books of the parks. So don't be surprised for my yeah. next ones. I mean, it, that's one of the things that it's weird. Like, You've got a whole realm of collectors just of park maps, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we saw at that amazing exhibit that we all went to called That's from Disneyland, where they were auctioning off all the Disneyland memorabilia. They had a whole section just of souvenir maps. And that was one of my favorite parts of that exhibit. It was so great to see those poster-sized maps of the park. Yeah. And, you know, I've always had a penchant for collecting the maps every time i used to come out here when i didn't live here i would grab three or four maps to take back with me and just look at it and compare them to previous ones and see what changes they'd made now that i live here it's hard to get like every single map because there's so (laughs) many but yeah the the map the cult of maps is strong at the disney parks it's really (laughs) cool i agree i agree but it's a cult it's a strong cult indeed it's a strong cult I guess because they're not in any particular order, uh, I'm going to go with this pick next. If if you guys are new to the podcast, you probably haven't heard me talk about this in the past. But I come from a semi-animation background because when I was going to school, my dream was to work at Pixar. You know, I wanted to do 3D animation and I, I had to take a lot of character development classes and a lot of traditional animation classes. And one of the best books that you can get for that is um, a tome written by Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas called Disney Animation, The Illusion of Life. 
And oh, I know that book. It yes. is just the best reference library that you will ever get for just knowing all of the techniques. And I mean, a lot of the Disney animators that work in the studios now, it was basically required reading for all of them. Yeah. And unless you know that book fairly well, front to back, you really can't be a Disney animator. So mm-hmm. if you know somebody that loves animation or wants to be an animator, whether it's digital or not, the principles that you learn in this book can be applied to any type of animation. So that is my next pick. It is Disney Animation, The Illusion <sighs> of Life. Nice. Fantastic book, man. That's one that I've always wanted in my collection. And I, I just haven't gotten. God, great pick. So good. All right. So... On that note, so that's a good transition to my next one. I'm going to pay tribute to my favorite Disney animation artist. He wasn't an animator, but he was an artist on the films. And that's Mr. Ivan Earl. And a, a few years back at the exhibition of Ivan Earl's collective works at the Disney Family Museum, they released a book called <sighs> Awaking Beauty, The Art of Ivan Earl. And it's basically a catalog of, you know, highlights of his career and then especially all of the work that he did for Disney and, you know, how it contributed to the canon of Disney films. And Ivan Earl is one of the artists that inspires me as much as any other artist in history. He is such an amazing stylist, an incredible colorist. His unique way of presenting things is magical. If you don't know who Ivan Durrell is, he is the person that gave Sleeping Beauty, the film, its look. So all of that cool fantasy, crazy architecture and the landscapes and all of the texturing and the colors and the contrast, that's all Ivan Durrell. So if you like how freaking beautiful that movie is you will like Ivan Durrell and I highly recommend that book it's amazing it, it he is he is hands down my favorite Disney artist and that's saying something because there are some heavy hitters that have worked for Disney oh yeah and he's my top so uh, Awaking Beauty is what it's called wow I may need that book that's uh, so good. <laughs> you know, I, I think they, they were talking about it at the D23 Expo the last time the Expo uh, was here. It might have been, yeah. yeah. I endorsed guy, that book as the well. The guy was ahead of his time. Like, a lot of his paintings you would think were almost computer rendered. Yeah. It's just so, so talented. I Yeah, I can't say enough, so I won't. <laughs> Such a good pick, man. All right. So my next um, book recommendation is... By Liz Broswell, and it's a whole new world, a twisted tale. And mm, this book, I mean, I've heard of them, but I finally got a chance to read it. And this is based off Aladdin, but the twist of it makes it dark. And Ooh. I love what they did with the book. They took the film, they took Aladdin, and they started it. And you actually get to learn a little bit of his childhood, which is cool. And I'm not going to say anything. Hmm. But they take parts of the film, which you thought, wait, 
this happens later. No, it happens right after. And then it overlaps. So let's just say Jafar is in charge of it. It, it could be dark. So okay. don't expect a happy ending. That's what I'm saying. But this is why I'm a fan of it. And I actually want to read more of these books. Not, so it's a series of books that kind of take a twist on Disney movies? Mm-hmm. There's a wow. Mulan. There's a Ursula. But it's a different set. I, I could be confused. But there are a couple books by this author. Okay. And she does a great job because she nice. takes whatever's in the film and puts it so you could kind of see the film as you're reading it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So would you say it's kind of like the Maleficent movie where it kind of tells you the story, but kind of from a different perspective? No. Oh. Because like Maleficent wicked? was different. I know it's not Disney, but is it like Wicked? I've never seen Wicked. Oh, Okay. Then scratch Don't that me. part. <laughs> 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 um, Don't tell I think my wife that. it stays that. true to the film, but you oh, okay. have your twist to it. Got it. Uh, hmm. It sounds Very like it might be kind of like Wicked. Because that's, I mean, Wicked is essentially telling you the story of the Wizard of Oz. I know this isn't Disney, guys. <laughs> it's basically telling you the story of the Wizard of Oz, but through Alphaba's eyes, the Wicked Witch. Oh. So all the all, everything that happens is exactly the same. It's just you're seeing, you know, everything from her side of the story. Yeah. Or what was written by, you know, the author. But anyway, I know it's not Disney. I know. <laughs> no, well, let's get back to it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm the one that that veered this train off the rail. So. Uh, okay, so my next book is sort of a companion book to The Illusion of Life. And, you know, you talked about Ivan Earl, you know, being one of your favorite uh, animators or painters for the Disney company. Uh, one of the guys that is very expressive with uh, Disney villains, especially, that I really like reading all of his stuff and seeing what he does is Andreas Deja. Yes. And Andreas Deja recently wrote a book called The Nine Old Men, Lessons, Techniques, and Inspiration from Disney's Great Animators. And one of the cool things about Andreas Deja is that he was hired by Eric Larson back in 1980. So he essentially studied under one of the nine old men. And mm -hmm. so what this book does is it really enhances the 12 principles of animation. So like squash and stretch, anticipation, staging, straight ahead, like all that stuff. And as you become familiar with those techniques, he goes through each one of the nine old men and he talks about how each of them applied it to what they did for their craft. And he spends a good amount of time talking about each one of them. And it's just a fantastic companion book to uh, for basically an animator, but also for Disney historians or, or anybody that's interested in the nine old men, because Andreas Deja mm -hmm. did a beautiful job collecting all of this information and presenting it in such a way that if you never were interested in animation, you probably will be by the end of this book. So yeah. that's my next pick. Ah, great pick. These are all books I want to read, man. You guys are <laughs> spending my money tonight is what you're doing. <laughs> that, that's just that's exactly what's happening. All right. So I'm going back to the parks with my next pick. And there is a book that came out a few years ago all about 
the concept art that went into creating Disneyland. And it's just called The Art of Disneyland by Curdy and Gordon. And it collects all of the concept art going back to Walt's original little sketches, the famous rhyme and drawing of Disneyland, the Ellen Shaw painting of Disneyland, all the way through like all of the concepts and elevations of Main Street, uh, vehicle designs by Bob Gurr. Like it has everything, oh, like man. all of the art that really describes what became the park of Disneyland. And it's a great art history. It's a great Imagineering history or Wed Enterprises history, which is what it was back then. And it's beautifully collected, beautifully printed. It's a wonderful book. And if you love Disneyland especially, but really any Disney park, it's the origin of what we all love, you know, and it's great. I love it. So that's my next pick. Totally cool. That's a really good one. So this one actually is fairly recent. Um, it came out in the, what, uh, during the 60th, I believe. And it's Disneyland Resort, a celebration of new magic and fond memories. Mm. And Oh, I don't know that one. This one, it's awesome because it's literally the resort, which is mm-hmm. Disneyland, DCA, uh, Downtown Disney. And you're looking at everything. And the reason I love this is because a lot of the books back then didn't have um, didn't have Pixar, didn't have uh, Lucasfilms. Mm-hmm. It just it goes through each land, or actually, you would say parts of the book go from each land. So you have everything in there from the brand new uh, Buena Vista Street, Cars Land, and wow. Um, gosh, I, I want to say it's pretty much modernized. So you get to know a little bit more. Like if you're, let's say you're, you go to the park and you're like, oh, this is cool. This and that. If you want to learn a little bit more mm-hmm. that you may not know, then, you know, this is a good book because it tells you about each attraction and yeah. even, like I said, downtown Disney. So you get a little bit of everything and that's wow. pretty much, Yeah. That was like, like one of the things I had to have. Size? Is huh? it like a coffee table kind of book that's like a larger format with like lots of pictures and art and no, stuff? No, just a regular standard size. It's so not it's huge. really just a, like a historical text mm-hmm. about the resort. Wow. Okay. I'm not familiar with that at all. That's crazy. Hmm. Interesting. Is it still available? I'm not sure. Huh. I hope so. Well, if it is, I'm buying that one too. I mean, I'm sure it's on Amazon. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are used copies available out there. Still good. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> sure. Somewhere. <laughs> oh, man. See, this is where it begins to get hard because there's so many that I want to share. But I know we wanted to keep our list short uh, for the sake of this episode. Well, just, just pick pick a good one <laughs> and we'll we'll throw out rapid fire some honorable mentions at yeah. the end. Oh, okay. Um <laughs> So this one's actually um, a fairly – if I only have to pick one to end this this part of the conversation, uh, it's a fairly expensive book, but it's the first volume in one of the most expansive 
uh, histories of Walt Disney film, and it has to do with the animated movies between 1921 and 1968, and that is the Toshin book that was released yep. uh, for Walt Disney film. When I purchased it, it was around $200, so I don't yeah, know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but I'll tell you the truth. I've seen somebody's version of it. Mine is stored away neatly somewhere because I don't want to touch it because it's too pretty. And so I haven't really dug into it. You gotta love it, man. You gotta open it and love it and experience it. I know I want to, (laughs) but are you gonna resell it someday? Maybe that's why it's stored away somewhere away from here. No, it should be a family heirloom. You should use it. I'll think about it. The I'm point coming is, over. I'm coming over. Is, I'm unwrapping that book, sucker. And it's pretty. <laughs> and I love it. I it's, envy it. It's an amazing uh, piece of literature. Indeed. All right. So my next pick is basically two picks in one. Uh, so the Imagineers released a book, I think a couple decades ago, called Walt Disney Imagineering. And it was basically this book that cataloged their history of Imagineering in the parks around the world up to that time, which I think when it came out was around the early 90s. And then they came out with a volume two about, I want to say about eight years ago now, that cataloged the further adventures of the Imagineers, basically. And so there's there's two volumes of it. They're both just called Walt Disney Imagineering. And they basically give you an overview with tons of concept art and schematics and pictures and all of the creativity that they, uh, you know, have at their fingertips to create the Disney parks. And it goes all the way from Disneyland to Shanghai. And it's incredible. It's such a great visual resource to see what Imagineering does, to see, you know, little sketches to full concept paintings to the realized park or land or attraction. It's absolutely fascinating. It is the stuff that has always been the driving inspiration for me as a Disney fan. I've always loved the animation. I've always loved the live action films. I've always loved the music of Disney. But when it comes down to it, what Imagineers have created in the parks and the magic that we get to step into when we go to the parks is the thing that just blows my mind every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the two volumes of Walt Disney Imagineering are my absolute top pick. Spoiler alert, I gave mine in order from five to one. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> so this is my top pick is these two volumes. And anybody who loves the Disney parks, I highly recommend it. It is such a treat to open them up. Every time I do... I noticed some new picture or some part of a picture that I never looked at before the same way. They're just chock full from end to end of, with Disney magic. And I can't speak highly enough about them. Is that the one with the sorcerer Mickey on it? With like yes. a blueprint of the castle? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they remade it uh, with the had firework a, They've castle, had a couple right? different covers. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. are great books, dude. <laughs> They're fantastic. Yeah. And it was it was cool because, you know, I mentioned a few episodes ago when I got to go to the Disney studio. Uh-huh. And uh, I was in the archives, and I told you that that one wall was basically just glass-encased, like, library of every Disney book ever. And I kind of was on the lookout for the ones I owned to be like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm on par with them. (laughs) Uh, And I definitely was on the lookout for these Imagineering books, and they were both there. And they looked like they'd been leafed through a thousand times. And I was very pleased to see that. So That's awesome. Unlike my Toshin book. I know. Open it up. Oh, my gosh. I want to see it. I have to go get it. It's in storage. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, my final pick is Disneyland, Then, Now, and Forever. And Ooh, I know that one. Yeah, this book is a good one for anyone who loves history or who wants to learn what the park looked like back then, what um, lands there was before we had certain lands. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorites because you get to see so much history that goes into Disneyland. And it's definitely, that was, I, I want to say that was my first book that I purchased. Like, oh, I, wow. I love it. Nice. That's yeah. so cool. That actually transitions perfectly into one of my honorable mentions. So <laughs> I love it. Great, great pick. We'll go ahead and, <laughs> and shoot it out there. All right. So w- the, the one book that's not an art book that almost made my top five is a book from the unofficial guide series. And if, if you don't know that series, they're, they're really uh, a travel book series. So they have the unofficial guide to Disneyland, to Disney World, to all the Disney parks. And it's basically a travel guide. But a few years ago, they did a history of Disneyland. And it's called the unofficial guide, the Disneyland story. Mm. And it is one of the coolest histories of the park because it literally goes from location to location and tells you everything that that location was going back to the beginning of the park. So if, you know, a location was one store and then it became another store and then it became Starbucks, you know, for example, then it gives you that whole history. It's so cool because you kind of peel back the layers of Mm -hmm. the onion, you know, back to the beginning and you see what it originated as and what it is now. And it's really cool. It's one of my favorite books and it's probably, to me, it's kind of the most accessible and most useful histories of Disneyland specifically because it, it's so practical in its construction and the way that it kind of just lays out for you exactly what was where and when. Because, you know, the park is always evolving. You know, park uh, Walt always wanted to plus the park and keep moving forward. So it it's always changing, but there are those things that are legendary and that we've always heard about, you know, things like the House of Tomorrow yeah. and, you know, Don DeFores and places like that, you know, that don't exist anymore, but it's cool to know exactly where they sat, you know, like Aunt Jemima's Pancake House. Where was that? You know, yeah. it was there, but do you know where? Well, this book will tell you. It's so good. I love it. 
I love everything about it. So that that's definitely one of my honorable mentions. Ugh. Uh, you guys know that I'm going to spout out like 10 honorable mentions, right? Yeah. Go I mean, it. do you want me to finish my honorable mentions real quick? And then yeah, you might go? as well. <laughs> All right. So uh, I got a shout out to Cars. I'm always shouting out Cars. They're, they're my, that's my Pixar favorite. So a few years ago, they released a book called The Poster Art of Cars. And if you're a huge Cars fan, you're probably a huge fan of design and like graphic design and advertising design because that's a huge undercurrent to that whole franchise is just the beautiful design work. And they collected a book that has all of the posters from the movies, from the attractions, from everything in the Cars universe, which is a lot. And it's just page after page of amazing poster art. So that's one. And then there's an Imagineering book that came out probably 10 to 15 years ago called the Disney mountains Imagineering at its peak. Mm. And it is a book totally focused just on Disney mountains. That's cool. I've and heard it's of it. amazing. It's so good. So it's got the breakdown of everything from Matterhorn to expedition Everest everything it's great that's awesome yeah melissa before i jump into mine do you have any honorable mentions you want to throw out there uh yeah i have one um because i want this one and i haven't gotten it yet it's <laughs> ink and paint the women of yes! Walt Disney animation oh i yes. want that so bad i want to learn more about these women i really do and totally i've been eyeing it and eyeing it and i i need to get it <laughs> yeah yes that was on my short list. I was going to say that I have some honorable mentions and then uh, a couple that I want to get. And that's yes. on my wish list um, for books that I want to get. Uh, the latest one that I just got that I'm super excited to dive into is actually a book by Don Hahn and Tracy Miller Zarnicki, I think is how you say it. Uh, but it's called Before Ever After, The Lost Lectures yes. of Walt Disney's Animation Studio. It's super cool because it chronicles what Walt went through when he when he went and he picked Don Graham from the Chouinard Institute to go and give lectures to all of these animators to really get them started on this track that would essentially become the basis of all animation going mm -hmm. forward. And yeah. those lecture notes are just, just fantastic. I had a chance to leaf through the book uh, before I purchased it. Uh, I'm super excited to read through that one. The other one I want to mention is Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. Uh, it's one of the best compendiums um, that talks about how Pixar was built and the philosophy behind it and just kind of mm -hmm. the, the inner workings of a company and the culture of Pixar. Um, uh, our buddy Jeff Bayham. You know, oh, he yes. does. He has the unauthorized story of Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion. It's quite possibly the most expansive book on the history with tidbits. And uh, Jason Sorrell has a really good Haunted Mansion book as well. But um, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm friends with <laughs> Jeff. But I like his book a little bit better. Uh, there is a newer edition. So uh, I would make sure that you buy the latest edition. Uh, and then it's kind of a combo because, you know, I, I really like how things work backstage 
you know, not just Imagineering, but uh, when you talk about one of the primary people that ran Imagineering, you think of Marty Sklar. Dream it, do it, my half century creating Disney's Magic Kingdoms, and then One Little Spark, both by Marty Sklar, are just such good books that talk about his history with the Disney company, everything that he went through after you know he got hired. He was so young when he started, but mm-hmm. like his ideas were just free-flowing and so good that he was promptly promoted to all of these positions within the Disney company to the point where he became Walt's right-hand man and you know most people knew him as with this like pet name of the sorcerer's apprentice you know because he, <laughs> he just knew Walt in and out where if if there was i mean we kind of throw the phrase around tongue in cheek sometimes like well what would Walt like or this is what Walt would have thought if there was ever a person outside of Diane Disney Miller that would know what Walt would have wanted it was Marty Sklar you're yeah. right you know so uh, those two books are in my honorable mentions. There's just so many good books, guys. It's just, yeah, there's just like, tons. Take my money. Just, just do it. Just take my money. Yeah, I think so. I think my next paycheck is already spent. Yeah, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. If you guys are, again, looking for any last-minute Christmas gifts to give to that Disney fan in your life, these are just some amazing books about the history of the parks, animation, the art. You can't go wrong with really any of these. If you are interested in purchasing them, links to purchase these books will be available in the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 235. If you use those links, we will get a small commission from Amazon as a thank you from them because you use our link or anything that you purchase when you go through there or podcasters.com slash Amazon. Push the big Amazon button to everyone that's taking the time to do that. Thank you guys very much. We truly appreciate that added support. And uh, also, some of these books are available on Audible. So if you've never had the opportunity to listen to some of these books via Audible, we have an offer for you to give that a shot. You can head over to podcasters.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page. You'll find a link for Audible. Click on it. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial, and you get one book to try out for free. If you decide to keep it, Uh, There's a very low fee and you get credits to get new books on a monthly basis. But if you decide to cancel within that 30 days, that free book that you received is yours to keep forever. So if you want to go with Melissa's first pick, which was Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination, that is a book that I own on Audible and I've listened to several times, you know, over the the last couple of years. Ed Catmull's book, Creativity Inc. is on there and so many others. You can't go wrong with any of them. You know, if you're mowing the lawn, washing dishes, you're just relaxing on the couch and the possibilities are endless. But if you just want to rest your eyes, listen to the story let them do the reading for you and let your ears do the semi-reading ish task (laughs) so give it a shot and that's it guys that is gonna wrap it up for this episode man that was fun i want so many books now it's (laughs) ridiculous but i also want to go back to disneyland and enjoy christmas before i'm blocked out that would be a good thing to do yeah that would be a good thing to do. I can't do that right now, but Aww. enjoy, sir. <laughs> enjoy. I would like to, yes. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode, everyone. Until next time, 
Have a magical week, everyone. See ya. Major look. <laughs>